Hey everybody, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on the team here and I'm excited to get to talk with you guys this morning. Uh, happy fifth Sunday, kids. Welcome to you. I need to let you know that on that back table back in the corner, there are some uh, clipboards with coloring pages and some crayons. If you need those, feel free to grab those. Don't grab the whole basket. Just grab a few crayons so everybody else can share. Adults, if you need that too, like I'm not going to judge. So feel free to grab those. Uh, also know that we always have our family comfort room, which is on the other side of those curtains through the glass doors. There is a family comfort room there if you ever need that. Uh, but my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, was here in the first gathering, uh, which was great to have her in here, but it also gave me a full awareness of what we're working with today. Uh, so if I'm talking really fast, it's because one, I always talk really fast, but two, uh, as a parent, I know what the challenge ahead of us is today. Uh, every time I turned over to this section, I was able to see my wife's eyes, and that was the only timer I needed for the first gathering, was the desperation building in her eyes throughout the course of the gathering. So uh, I feel you. So let's dive into this and uh, get moving forward. Uh, if you've been around here a little bit or if you were here last week, you know that these illustrations over here represent our four mantras as a church. Our mantras are short statements that guide us into becoming the type of church and the type of people that we believe God wants us to be. And the one that we're focusing on last week and this week is the top left there, which represents sushi, not fish stew. Sushi, not fish stew. Now, I'm not much of a fish guy, so I had very little framework for what that meant until it was explained to me. Uh, but now I see it through the lens of steak, not chili, which like <laughs> is a little better for me. I speak that language. Uh, earlier this year, I went to a conference and my friend Bruce from the church here took us out to a Brazilian steakhouse, which I'd never been to one of those before. These places are amazing, right? So you go there and they hand you this card and it's got green on one side and red on the other. And when you flip green up, they just bring you unlimited amounts of like the best steak ever on swords, right? It's seriously like it made me believe in heaven on earth, right? That it, it, it is accessible. Uh, it was amazing, but you just had like, you know, filet mignon, like everything. And they would just come and they would just cut it up on your plate. And it was so perfect. These steaks were so perfect. You wouldn't dare think about putting ketchup on the steak or like A1 sauce or anything. It was just, you took it as it was because it was already perfect. And also, because it was so perfect, I didn't dare think about putting anything else into my stomach that night for risk of not having enough room for the amazing steak that I wanted to eat, right? There was going to be no pre-side salad, no like biscuits or anything like that, right? Like I needed all of the room available for the goodness of the steaks. All right, so if you're tracking with me, this is sushi, not fish stew. When you have something that is so good and so strong and so wonderful just as it is, you don't need a bunch of other things around it. And actually putting a bunch of other things around it can actually make the experience worse overall. Uh, kids, help me out with this. I was trying to think of an equivalent for kids. Um, but is there something you can think of, anybody want to be brave, something you can think of that you love and you think is awesome, but if you put a bunch of other stuff with it, it's not so great. Anybody got any ideas? Something that you love and think is awesome, but if you put a bunch of, all right here, what do you love? Your mom. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mom is great, but if you put a bunch of other people with mom, <laughs> like dad. <laughs> oh, that is perfect. All right. Uh, 
as I was trying to think through this, this is what I came up with. Uh, this is the spaghetti from the movie Elf, all right? And each of those things in there, you have like Pop-Tarts and marshmallows and M&Ms and chocolate syrup and regular syrup. Each of those things in there are, um, are really good in and of themselves, right? But then you put it all together and it just is not quite so desirable and it even just sounds disgusting, right? So for kids, you could have, instead of sushi, not fish stew, you could have Pop-Tarts, not elf spaghetti, right? Or something like that, right? So uh, the whole idea is some things themselves are good, but we put a lot else with it, it starts to get a little messier. All right, so if this is what we're talking about today, then we have to start asking the question for us, uh, as people of God, what is the sushi that we need to be concerned about not losing in the fish stew? What is the sushi? What is the goodness that we're pursuing. And John the Baptist does a great job setting this up for us. John the Baptist, uh, right before and during the time of Jesus, John the Baptist starts preaching and starts setting the stage for Jesus to come on the public scene to begin Jesus' public work and Jesus' public ministry. So here's where we pick up the story of John the Baptist. It says, Matthew 3, 1 and 2 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. All right, so he starts talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven, which means very little to us if you're not familiar with it, but to the Jewish people, they would have already been familiar with this idea. The kingdom of heaven was the age to come, right? So you have life in the world and everything as it is already, and someday they were looking forward to someday when the age to come would, would, would be here, and in the age to come, it would be the age where everything is as God would have it to be where everything is fixed, where everything is put back together. Uh, it would be full of, uh, the word they would use is shalom, wholeness, restoration, where nothing is broken any longer. This is what they were looking forward to, the goodness of the kingdom of heaven, where everything is kind of this uh, remaking of the Garden of Eden, this original perfection, right? And we'd get to experience this goodness again. And John the Baptist is saying, hey, you've been looking forward to this age to come, but I'm here to tell you, you need to start looking closer because the kingdom of heaven is not to come. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's already right here. It's already close by. All that goodness you're looking for is now something that's accessible for you to connect with. This is the sushi that we're talking about. The goodness of God the wholeness of God, life where everything is put together and nobody is broken and nobody is hurting and the world is functioning in grace and peace and goodness. This is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes forward from that and he starts saying the kingdom of heaven is not only near, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. In my arrival, in the arrival of Jesus, now all of this goodness, all of this stuff you've been waiting for and looking forward to, it's now here among you and you can reach out and you can touch it. You can experience it. Jesus says it like this in Luke 4, 18, 19. He starts talking about what it means. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a picture that is of goodness coming to, especially to the people who have hurt the most. God's goodness is finally coming to be present in the world that brings hope for us to reach out and touch it. Paul talks about how, uh, how he saw the kingdom of heaven coming into the world. 
In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he wrote to the church and he said, but the fruit of the Spirit, the results of walking with God, the results of the kingdom of heaven connecting with it is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. All of this goodness is now something we can connect to in this kingdom of heaven. And he talks about what that means practically for his life in another letter that he's writing to the church in Philippi. He tells them this in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, whether with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Friends, this verse is not just about winning football games. <laughs> All right, this verse is about the effects of the kingdom of heaven when we connect with it. What does it do in our life? And Paul's saying, when I connect with it, here's what it does. He said, it has helped me to experience goodness and peace in the midst of whatever situation I face. When things have been really good, I have peace. When things have been really bad, I have peace. And we know he's experienced both. We're told that Paul came from a, a family, a situation where he had affluent resources, enough to go off and get some of the best education, right? We're also told that he went through some really tough times. He's writing this letter to the Philippians from prison, right? He's been there. He's lived it. He's walked through both sides of these things. And he's saying, my experience of the kingdom of God, the goodness of the story I have to tell you is whether things are good or whether things are difficult, regardless of the circumstances of life, you can connect to the kingdom of heaven which brings peace and goodness and the contentment in all of those. What a great story. This is the sushi. This is the goodness. This is the steak that's worth telling people about. But he goes on, because it's not that simple, right? So he says, the kingdom of heaven is near, but what he tells people to do is to repent. Now that word has all sorts of meanings for us uh, in today's language and all sorts of complicated things, but what it meant for them was simply to change your mind or to change onto a different path. He's saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven, all of this goodness is here and available to you, but you have to actually kind of change onto a different pursuit than the one you're on. And just at its very core, the obvious understanding here is the way we normally live life does not necessarily just naturally lead us into all of these good things, right? The way we normally just go about trying to get through and trying to survive and trying to in advance does not lead us into all of the grace and peace and wholeness and goodness and restoration of the kingdom of heaven. If we want those things, it takes us turning and intentionally pursuing a different path. And if you're here this morning, it's probably because at some point in time, you've tasted a little bit of that sushi. You've experienced a little bit of that goodness, that grace, that peace, that wholeness in the midst of brokenness in your life, and you want more of it. Or maybe you've just seen it in others and just wondered if maybe you can experience that for yourself. But we have this desire because we see it's good and we want it for us. But if we know it's good and we want it for us, why is it so hard sometimes 
to experience more of it? Why is it so hard to, to turn onto that other path and to just stay there? Because I feel in my life, I just have moments of it. And then sometimes it seems so far away. What's the challenge? Well, the Apostle Luke and his gospel would have us believe that one of the challenges to experiencing this sushi is that life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. He tells us stories of Jesus, both stories about what Jesus did and stories that Jesus told we know as parables. And these stories that Jesus told called parables are stories about the kingdom of heaven and what it means to run after and chase after and receive the kingdom of heaven in our life. What does it look like for us to go after the sushi and how do we find it? All right, so today we're going to look at Luke 18. There's going to be four quick stories we're going to look at, and then I have two thoughts. One of the thoughts also has a bonus story, okay? So if your parents trying to figure out how we get through this, four stories, two thoughts, and then we're on, okay? All right, Luke 18 starts with four stories. The first is the parable of the persistent widow, and it's simply a story about a woman who feels like she has not received justice, who is pounding on the door of the evil judge in town day and night, day after day after day, pounding on the door, pounding on the door, demanding justice. Justice is one of those bits of the kingdom of heaven. She is demanding access, connection to the kingdom of heaven, demanding her experience of it day after day after day. And finally, he gives in and he relents and he says, okay, you can have it. And he gives her the justice she desires and she gets to experience that little bit of goodness in the midst of her life. It's a simple story. The interesting thing is the fact that it's the story about a widow is not necessarily relevant to the plot of the story. We're just told that she's a widow to tell us something about her. And what we know about widows is that they had very little to offer and next to nothing to lose. So here you have somebody begging for the kingdom, begging for that bit of goodness, and the story is told that the person who is begging unrelentingly is doing so because she has nothing else to lose. What else would she be doing except seeking goodness because there is nothing else there for her but this? Okay, the next story we have is a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. So a Pharisee is someone, he's a religious teacher, you could say like a pastor, right? So uh, this Pharisee is standing in the city square and he's saying, God, thank you so much for how spiritually full I am. How spiritually full I am good. I do all the right things. God, thank you. Thank you that I don't do any of the bad stuff that the other people do. God, thank you that I fast and pray and attend church all the time and thank you that I give my money to, to help the poor that are out there. Thank you that I am so overflowingly full of spirituality. Thank you, God. And then the other half of the story is a tax collector. A tax collector is stereotypical for a person who would be known to be immoral in their society because tax collectors not only collected your taxes, they uh, told you a higher price of taxes than what you really owed, they gave the correct price to the government and kept the extra for themselves. And here you have the tax collector in the center of town who is morally and spiritually empty and says, God, I have nothing. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee full of spiritual fullness, the tax collector empty with humility before God. And the story goes who is closer to receiving the goodness 
of the kingdom of heaven. The tax collector cried out for mercy, one of those little pieces of goodness. And the story is told that the tax collector is closer to God and closer to receiving the kingdom of heaven than the Pharisee. And it's not just that the tax collector is more likely to connect with the kingdom of heaven, but the Pharisee, the very thing that keeps the Pharisee from the kingdom is the very fullness to overflowing that he was bragging about. The very thing that he was taking most pride in was the very obstacle to him receiving the goodness of the kingdom. The third story we see is people just started bringing their children to Jesus. This is not a parable. This is just happening, right? They want Jesus to touch their kids. They want him to bless their kids, whatnot. As they're bringing them, the disciples are like, ah, this is really awkward. He's a really important guy. You know, you guys should have better manners than this. Uh, Please don't do this. And Jesus is like, no, bring these kids to me. And he says, the kingdom of God belongs to children like these. The kingdom of heaven, this sushi that we're seeking after, he says, children like these are the ones that most easily access it. And in fact, if you want some yourself, you need to make yourself like these children. Well, what does that mean? Oh, he doesn't actually tell us. That's nice. Thanks, Jesus. He doesn't actually tell us what it means to make ourselves like children or what it is about children that makes them so ready to connect with the kingdom of heaven. But we start to see a pattern through these four stories, right? That those who are full have obstacles and those who have nothing are ready for receiving the kingdom. Which leads us to the fourth story, the story known as the story of the rich young ruler. Luke 18, 18 to 27. A certain ruler came to Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life in the age to come? What must I do to receive the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the man said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So here you have a guy coming to Jesus, looking for the kingdom of heaven. He's seeking it out. But the problem is he's the opposite of all of the previous three stories of what we're told makes it easy for people to access the kingdom of God. Unlike the simplicity of the child, he is a complex adult. Unlike the uh, emptiness of the tax collector, he is full of spirituality and full of himself, more like the Pharisee. And unlike the poor widow who has nothing else to lose, he clearly is a man who has everything he feels to lose. He has so many obstacles in front of him. So when he stumbles with accepting the offer of Jesus, you see Jesus responding to him, Just saying how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is empathy coming from Jesus. This is Jesus saying, I get it. 
It's so difficult. It must be so hard for you to contemplate reaching out when you have so much to lose. And he goes on and says, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. What do we do with that? Well, I've had some conversations with people and read some, some uh, authors who would say that Jesus is talking about the afterlife, heaven and hell, and he's saying that it literally is impossible on your own to, to go to the afterlife for people who are rich. That if you're rich and wealthy, you're going to hell except by if God chooses to intervene with his grace. That this is the story of what it's about. There's others who would say, well, you know, this is actually just about this one guy. You know, this one guy came to Jesus and he had clearly this issue because his stuff meant so much to him. It's just this one guy for whom this is so difficult, for whom Jesus is talking. But I think if we look at this story in the scope of all four of these passages in Luke 18, we see a couple of things. One, I think it's pretty clear that the, the camel in the eye of a needle is called hyperbole. It's an exaggeration, right? Uh, Jesus is not talking about the literal nature of a camel and a needle. Like, he is saying it is really, really hard, people. Like, really hard for people who are wrestling with this. But the, I think the other thing we can see from the scope of these passages is it's not just talking about this one guy. It is consistent with all four of these stories that there is something about fullness that makes it harder for us to connect with the goodness of the kingdom of God. There is something about our fullness that makes it more difficult. What is that? Well, here's our two things, two thoughts, right? Four stories, got those through? Two thoughts. The first thing that makes it so difficult is that our fullness often crowds out the goodness. It often crowds it out. Here's the bonus story. Luke 14, Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the great feast. And in this story, the great feast represents the goodness of the kingdom of heaven, right? Sitting down and partaking in the feast is what it means to partake in the goodness of the kingdom of heaven that's being offered. Jesus replied this. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. He's saying, okay guys, all of the goodness is ready. It's finally here. You've been waiting for it all this time. Now the meal is ready. Now the kingdom is here. It's here for you. Come and get it. Going on. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This is a story about the goodness getting crowded out. The goodness is there. It's the thing they've been waiting for. It's the thing they've been wanting. And now when it finally arrives for them, they have so many other things to worry about, so many other things to lose that they miss out on the goodness. And we may not be buying any fields or any oxen anytime soon. Probably not. But there might be other things, right? What is it that we get so full in our life, so full in our stuff maybe, 
that it starts to crowd out our ability to focus on the goodness and pursue that. Maybe it's the stuff we have and the stuff we now have to maintain. I have to mow my yard this afternoon. Or maybe it's the amount of time we spend pursuing all of the things that we want that makes it difficult for us to pursue the goodness that's there. But I don't think it's just about our stuff, right? There's other ways in that the fullness of life crowds out the ability for us to pursue the goodness of God, right? It's our calendar sometimes, right? That we just pile one thing after another, after another, after another. And the question comes, when the time comes to go to the dinner, are, are we able to do it? I look at my life as a parent and it's my schedule, it's my wife's schedule, and it's all the activities we put our kids in. And when the call comes for the feast, I don't know that I won't be taking my kids to soccer practice in those moments. Right? The fullness of life gets so full sometimes that it crowds out our opportunity to pursue goodness. Sometimes it's just the noise of life. All the things we're filling our heads and our minds with, whether it's news or social media or entertainment or whatever it is, the levels of noise coming in, does that crowd out the ability for us to reach out and connect with the goodness? In the story of Elijah, we're told that the voice of God is like a still, small voice, like a whisper. If it is, can we hear it? Above the noise of everything else we've filled into our lives. Uh, one last quick hit on this story. Uh, I think it's also fascinating that not only is there the warnings about the stuff we fill our life with, but then it comes back at the end. Who are the people that are most easily able to connect with the goodness of the feast? It's those who already aren't full are the people who come and enjoy the feast. Okay, fullness often crowds out goodness. Here's a second and final thought here. Fullness not only crowds it out, but fullness can actually work against the goodness. It can work against it. The kingdom of heaven for these people was something that was understood to be all or nothing for all of the people of Israel or not. Could they as a people reach out and be, participate in the, the kingdom to come and the goodness of the kingdom of heaven that was now arriving? What did it mean for them as a people? Right? And so when the fullness is coming, they have to start asking the question, is it helping them as a people access the kingdom of God and his goodness? And so we get this really interesting story from the Old Testament that kind of references this, right? Because we have this city, uh, these cities called Sodom and Gomorrah, right, that are destroyed for their evilness, for how evil they are. Uh, and later we're told in Ezekiel, we're told a story about why that happened. Why is it that they were destroyed for their evil? And it says this in Ezekiel 16:49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. So here we don't just have people having their own needs met. We have people getting to the point that they are overfed while others are suffering and starving. People that get into looking for fullness, so much fullness for themselves that they overfill even when others are underfilled. And in this, the fullness is something that begins to divide and separate the community so that you had the ones who were full on one side and the ones who were, who were starving on the other. The fullness began to be a wedge that worked against the goodness and saw them rendered as evil. 
But this isn't the only story. We have an interesting story in Acts 2 and 4 of the disciples after Jesus has gone to be with the Father. They're starting to figure out what it looks like for them as a church to walk in the kingdom of heaven together. And we're told they were meeting together constantly in homes for, for prayer and for meals and that they were sharing everything in common so that none among them was hungry. Right, so here you have this great story of people who were finding fullness, but their fullness, instead of dividing them and separating from others, their fullness was bringing people together because it allowed them to bring in people who were suffering, people who were on the other side of that. Their fullness was not divisive, their fullness was healing. And we see other stories of this throughout the New Testament. We see people who bankrolled the apostles to go out and share the good news of what God was doing. We see uh, all sorts of examples of this, and we see this in our church. I have seen people who are full of the goodness and, and resources of life who are able to use that to bring community together, to be able to help with affordable housing, to be able to help our homeless brothers and sisters. Right? There is not just the option for separation. There is also the option that our fullness can lead to healing. But we need to acknowledge from the story of the rich young ruler that maybe that's not the natural way life works. Right? Maybe if we want our fullness to lead to healing instead of division, maybe that's something we have to step aside and work really hard at making sure it does. Which is it for us? Healing or division. All right, wrapping up. The kingdom of heaven is this sushi goodness that we're talking about. It's the wholeness. It's the fullness. It's the world put back together. It's all the goodness and all the grace and the peace and all of the things we so badly need. But we often find ourselves separated, and that often is because of the fullness of life. Life gets so full in our stuff and our calendar and our noise. It gets so full that it crowds out our ability to seek and to find the goodness. And sometimes our fullness leads to brokenness and separation itself that separates us from others. As we hand back off to Dan and the team, I want us to enter some time of reflection real quick. We're gonna have these two questions to think about as we lead out of here. One, is my fullness crowding out any goodness in my life or my community? And two, is my fullness contributing to healing or separation in my community? May we consider these questions and ask God to reveal goodness and truth in our hearts as we move forward. We're going to close with a song that's a sort of benediction or a prayer for each of us. You can sing these words with us or you can just receive these words and continue to reflect. Wish upon you peace Wish upon you grace Wish for this of what you want More of what you need Wish upon you an old life with a heart that stays young. But most of all, I wish upon you love. Wish upon you truth. And all you feel is doubt. Hope you know that open mind still knows when to shut. Out. 
wish upon you a brave heart will always rise above. But most of all, I wish upon you Practices, not performances, church. Another one of our mantras, if you want to talk about that later. Um, I love that we can get through some of this introspection just in our time here together because I think it's really important just to stop and evaluate. But I also want to encourage you to this. Sometimes I can evaluate my own heart and see some things, and sometimes I can think I'm doing okay, but I wonder if I ask my daughters how they think about how my fullness of life is going, if I might not get a different answer than I might get evaluating myself, right? So as we go out this week, continue, let's continue to be people who evaluate our hearts before God, but let's also reach out to somebody we trust, somebody who sees us well and says, how would you think that things are going for me? And be blessed by the responses we get, yeah? All right. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great day.